I think I'm having an art attack. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Art Attack. It's been a very long time since we've done this, and we were we are going to be doing this on the regular from now on. Lizzie Dastin, art history extraordinaire, PhD. She knows what she's talking about. Justin Bua, that's me. I don't know if I know what I'm talking about, but I have very strong feelings about what I'm talking about as an artist uh, and an art historian in my own right. Lizzie, welcome back to Art Attack. I am so excited to do this. I really can't wait to have this conversation. And I've just missed desperately being able to talk to you about art. I think that you offer so much passion, so much perspective, and it's perspective that's different from my own. So I can't wait to get it going again. Yeah, and I'd like to give a shout out to my passing of my I have two teachers who are the biggest influences in my life. And this teacher, Gary Meyer, who, who everybody knows, but they don't know. He did this Chicago album cover from the aerial view. He did the Jaws movie poster. He's done so many classic illustrations. He, he was my teacher and he passed away yesterday. Uh, and he's probably, they don't make them like that anymore. He's, he's one of the greatest of all time. His name is Gary Meyer. Look up Gary, M-A-Y-E-R, illustrations. Just check his work out. That's the school I come from. You're, you're, it's like unbelievable. We'll do an episode on him down the road. But right now, we're not talking about good art like Gary Meyer. We're talking about what you think good art is, which is Yoko Ono. Uh, we know Yoko Ono, of course, from John Lennon. Uh, she, she, she is an artist, you know, and, and, and I'm holding up air quotes, by the way, so that everybody knows what I read. <laughs> Those are fighting about. quotes. Yeah. Now, Lizzie, do you, do you want to get into her? I mean, I know that, can I talk about her background a little bit? Of course. Well, just fast forward, like born in Tokyo, moved during World War II to Scarsdale, New York, uh, grew up in, in a well-to-do family, lost a lot of the wealth, regained the wealth, went to private schools, went to Sarah Lawrence, and then eventually moved to the village of Chamber Street where she had a whole studio set up and she had a lot of avant-garde people do all kinds of art there and including John Cage. I'm, I'm a big fan of John Cage and, uh, you know, musicians and artists alike and, and kind of started down the trajectory of, of just this avant-garde world. She was kind of always like that as a kid, I noticed. Like if you look at her kid stuff, she was always that way. So there's something childlike and, and I, I want to use the word redeeming because it, you know, it redeems her from her horrible art installation stuff. Oh. But no, but seriously, like when she did the book Grapefruit and stuff like that, she does some, it's childlike in a way. I just feel like she takes herself so serious that I, I feel like if she didn't do that and she did this, then I would appreciate her more, you know, and, 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 you know, you get the whole, like she, she broke the Beatles up thing. So people get all butthurt about that. Yeah, they do. And actually that was my introduction to Ono's work because my, or to Ono as a person, my mother said, Oh, I hate her. She broke up the Beatles. So I think that that is where a lot of people's knowledge of her ends. And actually she was, a pretty important conceptual artist prior to her even meeting John Lennon. And I do believe that she met him at one of her 
art installation spaces. So it's kind of interesting that if that anecdote is true, that she ended up meeting him in a space that was her performance power rather than his. But her work is very long-standing. I think her themes have been carried on since the 60s when she really started to produce these, these profound pieces about play and about subversion of art expectations. And definitely, she has a strong bent on activism. And I appreciate her consistency and what you talk about as being childlike. I see as one of her virtues because there's so, maybe she does take herself seriously, but she still invites her viewers to play, to participate. And I think that that makes her really special, especially considering she started in the 60s when we think about 60s art, we think about pop art or minimalist art. And those are such precious movements to differing degrees, but hers was so much about the demystification of the art object. And Ono was a part of a movement called Fluxus. And that's all about the fluidity of the body and about motion and about not being fixed or confined. And so I think that it's appropriate that the art that she actually made doesn't fix in our definition of what art is supposed to be. I feel like it's more artistic the fact that there's a gardener in the background and you're speaking over him and you're talking. I am so sorry. I keep on trying to like give him <laughs> eyes to stop, but guys, this is, I picked the wrong time to have a, an art attack. Well, I, I think it's, I think it's layered and I think it's very artistic. <laughs> you're talking about art and we're kind of performing a narrative about another artist narrative. And yet here we are and life maybe is art in many ways. Don't be worried, you, you, you look so worried. I want you to be feel comfortable. <laughs> I great feel great, guy. I'm just trying to get their attention. <laughs> Listen, if you, wanna, if you wanna step out and I could continue to talk, that's fine too. I have no problem with it. This is all art, this is all part of the experience. This is real, this is raw. This is what Art Attack's all about. I mean, what's kind of awesome about this is that Ono's work, it's all about how art is, you never can predict what it is that you're going to experience. Right. And today is kind of endemic of that because we're speaking about something, we can't control the environment around us. Right. And to me, that's kind of part of her work too, because she would give her viewers a set of instructions. For instance, in that grapefruit book, book that you talked about, which was yeah. her conceptual poetry, yeah. and she wrote something like, grab a bag of peas, drop a pea wherever you go, which is a very loose, esoteric set of directions that are seemingly simplistic. But I think what they also invite is participation and just having fun and contributing your own body and your own performativity to the preciousness of art. Well, you know, that's fine. <laughs> I, let me let me present a dissenting opinion. I feel like we have uh, you know we have we have walls in a in a in a museum, and there are people who have worked so hard to get inside those walls. And we know that artists who are incredible, nobody knows they're incredible until they're hung there because it's all context, right? So. Once you contextualize an artist inside of a space that's supposed to be meant for artists, they seem important. But yet, 
you know, the museums give Yoko Ono a space frivolously, perhaps in my opinion, because she is linked to uh, John Lennon, that she has a celebrity about her. And perhaps she cuts the line. And, and, and you're, you're right to say that she cuts the line, in my opinion, because of her, the cachet of who she is, rather than uh, the quality of work she does. Was she there in Chambers Street? Was she creating with some of these artists? For sure. Absolutely. But so were a lot of other people that you'll never hear of. You know what I mean? So, okay, my, and, and I want to dialogue with you about this because, for example, when she does uh, her cut work, right? She'll, she sits, what's it called again? Cut piece. Cut piece, right. So she'll sit down uh, and have a pair of scissors there and an audience, usually it's her, not somebody else. She does some, she does other people as well, but usually it's her putting herself there and she invites the audience to participate by picking up the scissors and cutting her clothes, therefore exposing her uh, to the world. And to me, maybe it's just people cutting her with a pair of scissors. And what, I know you're so excited about, about dialoguing about this, but what does that mean when she does that? And why is it so important? Because I need to understand that. I love that question and thank you for explaining and introducing what that performance is. And she's done it multiple times. The first one was staged in Tokyo and you're right, she predominantly utilizes her own body and she will invite her audience to approach her body, which is passively sitting and invites the audience to cut off a piece of her clothing. And there's really no parameter in that. And she said that it either ends when she is wearing no clothing, nothing to cut, or when she decides that it's over. And so I like that last piece because there's a little bit of artist agency. And that ends up being minimized in future performances in the 70s. I'm thinking of the work of Marina Abramovich. And so Ono, she is creating the genre of performance, but she introduces vulnerability without really exploiting her vulnerability and relinquishing all of her control. So anyway, in this first performance of Cut Piece, it was going fine. People were, were starting to take really modest cuts of her clothing. And then all of a sudden this one audience member, they got increasingly emboldened. And then this one started aggressively cutting, ended up cutting the strap of her bra. And you see in the documentary photographs of the piece, Ono grabbing herself so she didn't expose her, her nudity to the audience. And then that ended up being the breaking point of the performance because that's when she ended up uh, connecting again to herself. And she wasn't a passive receptacle, but more of an active participant in her own covering. So she initially said that it was about a Vietnam War protest and how it was like a passive sit-in and inspired by Zen Buddhism and the tropes of that spiritual thought process. And then later she said it's also about feminism. And I think when we see it through that lens, that's when it really gets activated for me because all of these cuts are like micro assaults. And then that micro assault became more of a macro assault once the bra was or started to be removed and once her body became exposed. And I think in 1964, when she released that piece, 
feminism didn't yet have a language and second wave feminism wasn't really in full force in the visual art space. And so I think that explains why Ono was a little bit resident or um, hesitant to own completely her feminist intentions. And I think it's duly about the Vietnam War, about protest, and also about the recognition of a particular vulnerability that, that really befalls women artists. Well, that, you know, that's well and good. And once again, you've been able to articulate yourself eloquently to explain something that whether she meant that or not, I don't know, but you're telling me that was the intention. <laughs> Uh, what, but, you know, it's also, if they're micro assault, she's also allowing them to transpire. So they're just metaphorical micro assaults. And therefore, in, in the metaphorical space of, of doing something like that, it doesn't, to me, take on the, the weight and the gravity of, of an assault like that, because an assault like that is traumatic and severe. And we're watching a theatrical performance of that. You know, so to me, there's something very uh, esoteric and diluted about that. And we can go, you know, we could talk about that particular piece for hours. You were going to say something. I, could I was actually I, just about the the fact that it's a diluted assault. To me, that's what a representation is. And so if it's a painting, if it's a photograph, you have a lens that separates the viewer from the authenticity and the the raw visceralness of the experience. And so to me, hers is no different because it's a metaphor for assault. It doesn't have to be a physicalized version of that to maintain its profundity. But she goes a step further in 1969 and she and John Lennon collaborated on a video piece called Rape. And so now she's fully embodying her feminist intention. And this one female character or female person, she was not actually a character. She did not consent to what was about to happen. She was followed for 77 minutes. And the entirety of the film is just this camera person filming her moving from space to space. And it's about voyeurism and it's about vulnerability and hearing that this woman was not a participant in this process that I think elevates just how uncomfortable the end product was. And that was intentional. It was meant to make viewers feel like they were complicit in something that was damaging to a female body, which I think Cut Piece successfully accomplishes too. And then she also has the bag body one. Where oh, I love that one. Like, how, but like how... There's two people going into a black cloth so that two bodies are going there. And the idea is that they, we don't know what's transpiring underneath that. They can see through the transparent veil of their cloth and see what's going on in the world. Yet we don't know what is happening there, what is transpiring there. And perhaps they're taking all kinds of shapes. They're shape-shifting into all these different forms as well. Uh, so what, why is that important? 
So it wasn't just that they were shape-shifting. And uh, I think that how you addressed it is really great because you you start to talk about the, the voyeuristic aspect where they can see out, but we can't see in. And I think that's interesting because it engages in this dialectic of concealment and revealing, but it's even more intensified because both people who entered the bag were instructed to take off their clothes. And uh-huh. so what happens in the bag, we don't know. We as an audience can only speculate. And then once the performance is complete, they put their clothes back on and then they exit the space. And Ono's intent in that was to minimize the superficial trappings of age, gender, and race. And there are just bodies in a bag, coexisting, commingling, whatever it is that ends up happening in that bag, it is ageless, genderless, and raceless. And artless. In my opinion, oh, good one. <laughs> just in a bag rolling around. You're just like, is it? I mean, this is once again where she is she pushing the boundaries of art or is she insulting the integrity of people who have spent their entire career becoming artists? That's the question. Uh, for you, she's pushing the boundaries of art, right? She's she's making a statement. There's something intellectual there that you're that you're hanging on. Uh, there's something that that you can resonate with. It's it's making you think about something perhaps that you haven't thought about before. It's contextualizing things in a different in a, in a different way, right? Yeah. Well, I think the context is so important because now perhaps that's not pushing any kind of envelope and it's not shifting a paradigm. But in the '60s, absolutely, when Donald Judd is creating these or de-skilling the art object and having these boxes prefabricated in a steel plant and then put on the wall just with the the same amount of inches in between each shelf that shows nothing about the body shows nothing about vulnerability or the human experience or gender or politics or activism it is completely removed from context and i think what ono and her contemporaries did was that they brought back life into art and life was actually the art. And the fact that you can just take a bag of peas and drop one, that is not an artful gesture. You would never see that in an art history Janssen textbook from the 40s or the 50s. But suddenly having life as art itself was a completely innovative concept. So I think the context of when she was doing it is absolutely integral to our understanding of the piece itself. Because now that doesn't seem all that crazy because Ono and people like her already explored those themes. You just imagine like in in the 70s, in the 60s when it was going on, like construction workers coming and going, and what are those guys doing in the bag? It was just like the two guys in the bag <laughs> and a piece of cloth. And, and it's like, this is, what is the, the, the cutting of the scissors? This is like unbelievable. These guys are, they're insane. It makes you feel like, you know, your average person surviving, uh, dealing with their kids and with life and with the, you know, the trappings of, of reality. It feels so trite and avant-garde. You know, it really does feel pretentious, to be honest. I mean, you got you to gotta think about how pretentious that is for your average, uh, your average person coming from, you know, lower, lower income housing to get, 
see two people under a bag and people paying money to go see that. It's just bizarre. I mean, perhaps, but I think what she was doing, it wasn't necessarily more or less pretentious than Alan Capro or other people in Fluxus or The Happenings, Namjoon Pike, and this uh, one artist, Kubata. She inserted a paintbrush, well, she taped it onto her underwear, and then she would move her body around the canvas and called it vagina painting. And so a lot of these performances were happening at around the same time. And I think what they share is their investigation of the art scene and also their investigation of the art market, because it's very difficult to sell a Yoko Ono piece or to place something in the walls of a or on the walls of a museum, because what is there? There's really just a photographic document. And I think that seeing art as detached from its monetary value is also very cool and perhaps pretentious to some or from a different avenue of interpretation because it's so different. And what does it mean? And how are we supposed to experience it if we can't see it on a wall or purchase it at Christie's, but I think that she was actually making art less pretentious because everybody's allowed to be a part of it. And anybody can, what was another one from Grapefruit? It was cough for a month, sneeze for a year and interpret that as you will, but we can all do that. We don't need to go to art school or a fancy- COVID for that. We don't need to- Exactly. So she really was prescient in that (laughs) that way. Well, you know, it it is a very avant-garde, precious thing to be able to do that stuff. Uh, You know, to be honest, I mean, she she was from a well-to-do family. She went to private school. And just because I- went to public school and I'm not from a well-to-do family. I'm not talking in, in a jealous way. I'm just saying when you have the ability to, you know, not worry about, you know, life, you're, you're, you have the expenses paid for. You don't, you know, you're not making money. You can, you can do stuff like that. And I'm not taking away there. There's been artists historically uh, who have had money, uh, who, who were born into wealth. Balthus, for example, was born into an extraordinary amount of wealth. Uh, other people were born broke, uh, like, or, or came up broke, like, or, or worked really hard for it. I'm going to say like again, but Van Gogh and uh, and other artists. So I'm not I'm not kind of capping on where where they're from, but to me it seems pretentious, and and I, I even though you elaborated in an eloquent way. I don't really feel anything from the, from it. It doesn't make me think about that. And if that was her intention, then for me, she missed the mark. And specifically, I, you know, and I, I really do believe that she's, no matter what, historically, she's tethered to John Lennon, right? She really is. I mean, that's part of, that's like, that's, she's part of that. People could be sore at her for breaking up the Beatles, but for me, I'm not angry at her for that at all, because, you know, if you're a if you're a man, you're making your own decision. You're not going to let your 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 woman. And if you're a woman, you're making your own decision, not going to let your man guide you in terms of what you're going to do. But that being said, a little anecdotal story is I don't know if you know this, but when John Lennon was shot, uh, you know, that he was he was shot on uh, uptown in New York on 70. What was that? Oh, on Central Park West, uh, 
And I was walking with a bunch of my friends in the park and a cop car grabbed us. Their badges were taped and they threw us in the back of the car. And they said, did you kids just murder John Lennon? And I was with three, three of my friends. It was a crazy story. It was like all Puerto Rican, you know, black kids. We're all just like hanging out down in Riverside Park. And they just grabbed us, threw us in the car. Their badges were taped. And they said, did you guys murder John Lennon? And my friend said, who's John Lennon? And I was like, I'm the Beatles, you idiot. Like, I was just like, wait, there was all this kind of back dialogue between us. Yeah, it was crazy. And then, and then, they, uh, and then they let us out of the car. It was like a really weird situation. I was like, you know, Bua getting arrested for the murder of John Lennon when I was a, you know, a little kid. Or, or, you know, I guess they were rounding up anybody in the vicinity before they found out who actually killed him. And uh, it was really ironic that my friend was like, who's John Lennon? And I was like, he's in the Beatles, bro. What are you talking about? He's like, oh, the Beatles. Okay. So it's this really weird uh, story that I, I was there during the death of John Lennon. You know, when I would, when I was break dancing, I would go down the strawberry fields uh, and stand outside at Central Park and we would, you know, we would dance and, and John and Yoko would, would come and watch us. So as a kid, I saw her, you know, in the circle watching me perform. Um, now oh. I was like, yo, that's crazy. That's John. That John. is so cool. Yeah. So it's a little weird New York uh, story about my, my connection. I didn't really have any connection. I saw her in the city, never really knew that she was an artist, honestly, because, you know, we know she's famous mainstream wise for being John Lennon's wife for, right. for the sit in, you know, for the bed in for, for, ending war for peace and all of the propaganda that they put out that if you can imagine it, if you speak it into existence, it will actualize and manifest itself, which I agree with that. But then I'm, I'm careful about saying that that's art. I mean, I love the sit-in. I love all the stuff they did. I know a lot of people were just disturbed by that, especially people who fought in Vietnam and, you know, felt that it was very insulting to them. And, you know, but but I, I think that John Lennon's album, Imagine, perhaps also was to positive effect influenced by her. Oh, absolutely. That, you know, that was her woman. And, and, and she wrote Imagine in so many things. And I, I just think that he had to be influenced by her. And I think that that was, that was a genius album for sure. So she, she definitely lent herself uh, to his genius for sure. She added... Yeah, there was a transmutation, I think, of artistic influence. And you talk about the bed in. And that, I think, was not only a, an expression of her political activism and also Lenin's, but also a sexual subversion. They were on their honeymoon in Amsterdam and invited people into their, this space, a, a bedroom space. And I think people walked in with this hope that it was going to be a concupiscent event, just this lustful honeymoon takeover. And instead it was two fully clothed people, the protesting through this peaceful act, the U S involvement in the Vietnam war. And so I think that that was a, a beautiful choice. And I didn't know that, veterans from the Vietnam War were upset by or offended by that kind of statement. I would have thought the opposite because in their rallying cry, what did it say? Something like war is over if you want it to be. 
And so it was not necessarily forming judgment, but introducing the possibility. And that I think is true for all of her work. She's not telling you how to sneeze for a month or cough for a year, but just suggesting that you do it if you want to. Or you say Imagine is a touchstone in her work and then also in Lennon's iconic song, but you could just imagine what could it look like? What could it sound like? And it's really about the viewer's imagination and the viewer's creativity and not necessarily a list of guidelines that we have to follow in a particular way in order for the performance to be correct. So let's move to her most infamous work. I'm not going to say famous work, but her most infamous work. I'd like to play a clip of it. It's Yoko Ono screaming at an art show. That's her famous screaming. And I'd like to play. And then I'd like to read uh, some comments about it, because I think that in itself is art. Hold on one sec. Uh, but I, but I I found this I did found this fascinating. This is her at the MoMA voice piece for soprano and wish tree. Wish tree is pretty cool actually. Um, and she goes up to the stage and. Uh, First of all, the fact that you said, I love this work. What, what do you mean this work? I do. Okay. So microphone. I, I'm confused. I love this because I see it as a investigation of feminist abjection. And this is a concept that was coming out of the French feminist work, Sisu. And she talked about abjection, which is when you're revulsed by something and how as women were supposed to be the opposite of revulsive. And so to encourage the just the space of things that we're not supposed to associate with women, like Ono said, women smell like bodies and not some kind of automaton or women fart. And yeah, she, they're not. Yeah, they're right. They're not prince. You said we're, the, we're not princesses and all. Yeah, exactly. Pristine, so pristine. Right. And so seeing a woman, a diminutive one at that, and an Asian body at that, she's Japanese, and so for her to take the mic and to just scream, that is a complete subversion. It's iconoclastic. Women are not supposed to perform like that. And so I think her doing it is so shocking because of the gendered expectations of her form. And I think the fact that it kind of coincides with this French feminist theory makes me like it all the more. Yeah, see, to me, I just think it's a woman screaming and I'm not, you know, I think you could read anything into anything if you go that far. I, I feel like it's it's just a pretentious uh, moment of trying to get people to look at me. She's always felt like, and that's the vibe, the ultimate vibe I get from Yoko, in my opinion. It's, you know, John was so talented, uh, and he was commercially talented and successful and he was successful when he left the Beatles. And I feel like perhaps she 
was a legitimate avant-garde artist who never made it, but then because of her connection with him, she wanted to scream and shout and have attention focused on her. And to me, that's what it is. And if you, I wanna just read some of these comments. They are not my comments whatsoever. They are YouTube comments, but I thought they were, they were just funny. Uh, the sauerkraut wrote, starting to consider that John Lennon shot himself after <laughs> watching that. Oh God. I'm telling you like, this is a, uh, uh, let's see. Now. When the hot pocket is still hot, but you're committed to not taking it back out of your mouth. That was funny. Uh, this is what you get when you can, when you imagine there's no heaven. That's pretty funny, right? Imagine there's no heaven. Uh, <laughs> someone said, why, uh, why are people paying money to watch this pretentious rubbish? Why do people give, keeping, give, Keep giving her attention. She has no talent. She's like an old Kim Kardashian. And then someone wrote, she's not even good at screaming. Oof. Yeah. Now, these are also comments that come presumably from people who don't necessarily know the art context. They don't know the time in which she was producing work. And you talk about Lennon as well, being- funny. It was funny. These are funny. They're clever. Yeah, they're funny. They're funny. Sure. They're art. And someone said they, they say love is blind. For John Lennon, it must have, have it must have been deaf too. Oof. Yeah, they're clever. But someone said, me, someone said this is really good. Someone said Yoko, like you know, like as in a play. We're reading it like a play, right? Yoko screams. Me. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, all right, so they are funny, but I just wanted to go back to what you were saying about Lennon being propulsive to her career. And I almost think that these comments indicate the opposite is true. I think that because of her association with John Lennon, specifically because of the supposition that she broke up the Beatles, people are more negative and more critical and dismissive of her career than they might have been otherwise. I'm sure she gets more visibility because of Lennon, but I also think that she suffers more criticism. You know the greatest thing she ever did, and I'm gonna show it to you and you can't see it, it's a performance at the Louisiana Museum. Look at that, that is so cool. She does these giant calligraphy letters where she dips this brush in paint. How cool is that? Her That's work. Yeah, it's beautiful, and I think that often there's... I feel like if she did that, then I would say, okay, that's great. But she's like, she's a, she's like, I'm everything. I'm going to be a performance artist. I'm going to be an installation artist. I'm going to be a calligraphic, visual, kind of Murakami meets retina artist. I, I feel like if... You know, and she does everything, right? Because she let's not forget that she sings. She did the whale music. She performed with Chuck Berry and John Lennon. I mean, doing the tambourine and then screaming. I mean, it's crazy. You know, she inserts herself everywhere. She really wants to be, she wants the, the spotlight. She's like divine in a John Waters film. She's like, look at me, look at me, 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 me. Or she's just prolific. But I wanted to talk about one one final performance piece that goes back to your and so many other people's opinions that she is pretentious, which I, I think is valid. But this, this performance that she did in the early 60s hopefully will kind of give a little bit of nuancing to that criticism. She 
put out ads in multiple papers that said that there was a solo exhibit for Yoko Ono at the Museum of Modern Fart. And (laughs) she put the F in parentheses, so the Museum of Modern Art, but with the F. And throngs of people showed up to this elitist, modern avant-garde space asking for the tickets to the Yoko Ono exhibit. And MoMA eventually had to put out a sign and stick it on the front of the museum, the entryway saying the Yoko Ono show is not here. And that ended up being the performance because they came to the Museum of Modern Fart to see a work, a body that never existed. And I just think that that is very playful. It's almost like seeing the world as a scavenger hunt where you're trying to find things and there are clues and there are ways for you to be actively engaged using your own body. Art is no longer passive. It's active, it's fun, it's silly, it's strange. Women are allowed to scream, there are no boundaries. And I think that there is value in that. You know, it's kind of like me ordering a pizza to you and not telling you that it's coming. (laughs) It's like, you know, (laughs) It's no, it's, it's funny. I I think that was, I think that's incredibly clever. I thought, I think that's hilarious. I think it's great. Uh, I, I, yeah, I have, I have no, I think that that's, you know, in, in many ways it's context, right? It's like Banksy hanging him himself at the Tate, sneaking into the Tate, you know, putting a nail in, putting the Banksy on the wall being like, look, it's context. It's like, putting an ad like Yoko Ono is showing here. And was like, oh, cool. Yeah, where's she showing? He's like, no, we never gave her a gallery show here. That's cool. <laughs> to me, that's circumventing the pre-existing system. You're, going, you're, you're hacking the system. I like that. So that to me is, is a really cool thing. So, you yeah. know, it's not like I, I can't stand Yoko Ono. Like the calligraphy she does is so beautiful. The, you know, her story is interesting. Her contribution to, to John's, uh, collection was was probably incredibly important i probably love lines that he sung that she wrote i don't know you know what i mean and and all her you know uh, anti-war stuff was really great and she's she's an important social contributor i just can't call her necessarily an an artist of consideration that i would consider important history you know what i mean i i get that and i hear what you're saying and in our first ever art attack episode Hundreds of episodes ago, or at least 120, you said that she was a trash can artist. Now, I just I want to her, I drew her as a trash can artist. Yeah, you did. Do you but still I, believe that, or has the conversation maybe softened your views a little bit? Um, I, I think a lot of the, the stuff she does is uh, not valuable. And I, I'm not going to, like, you know, in, in the conversations of art and history, I'm not going to really include her in that. You know, but... Is she, an, is she an amazing artist? No. Is she an important artist to me? No. But there's certain things that I do like, you know, but I'll say that about other artists that I'm not, I don't, I don't love Rauschenberg, but perhaps there's some, some stuff that I do love, you know, but as, as a whole, I don't. So has, have I taken more of a shine to her? Maybe. You know, just because that, because of the calligraphy in the last story you told, I think that that was a great, that's great. You know, I, I like I how it. her mind was working in the context of art. You know what I mean? And how she was kind of messing with the system. It's like putting a spoke in the wheel is great because the wheel, 
is really people don't like that. Christie's, Sotheby's, the 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 establishment out there is very rigged, and to do anything to unrig it and to break it down, I think is great. So yeah, she's amazing. No I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Lizzie. Well, thank you for uh, once again illuminating illuminating me with your knowledge and dropping science again and just getting back together with you here is fantastic. I want to do this all day, every day and talk about art because you and I know that art is important. So follow us here, spread the word about Art Attack. You can check us out on Instagram, although we rarely ever post there, but we will start again. And um, yeah, it's great to see you again. I can't wait to do more of this and, and do a, a great artist next time, not a trash. A <laughs> <laughs> Oh, <laughs> <laughs>